The following program is a presentation of Fox Sports Radio Charlotte, the free Fox Sports app, available from Apple or Google Play, and always online at foxsportsradiocharlotte.com. It's time for the Uptown Sports Crowd. Here's Mackie Gallagher with Ben Cole. Good morning, Charlotte, and thank you for tuning in to another week of the Uptown Sports Crowd right here on Fox Sports Radio, Charlotte. My name is Mackie Gallagher. I am joined, as always, by my boy, Ben Cole, Benjamin Cole, Benny Cole. We call him very, uh, a bunch of different variations of Benny. Try to find which one sticks. Don't know if Ben likes any of them, but I frankly do not care. A lot of things happened this weekend. We had both the men's and women's Final Four. The men's Final Four happened last night. Some entertaining games, a different look Final Four for each of the two brackets. And we cannot wait to talk about them for the next hour or so. But before we get into it, I got to start it off as I start off every week. Checking in on my boy Ben. Ben, how have you been? How was this weekend? Have you done anything exciting? Anything exciting pop out to you? Just overall, how's Benjamin Cole feeling on this mighty Sunday morning? I'm feeling good. Always happy to be here with you, Mackie. Uh, let's see, quick skim of the brain of what I did this past week. It was pretty uneventful from what I think about it. Uh, how about you? I'm, I'm doing overall well. I did get a new Xbox. That's been fun. <laughs> Highlight of my life. So, uh, yeah, you can tell I have nothing going on. <laughs> Ben's streak of uneventful week- weekends has now extended to four. <laughs> uneventful weekends for Ben Zero. Uh, my weekend has been pretty much the same. Had a few uh, work things I need to knock out. I had a uh, a remote, as we call them in the radio business, with uh, one of our clients, Carefree Boat Club. Very nice people, Mark and Juana and Reagan and all them over there. We went out to uh, McLean Morningstar Marina, I believe is the name. And we what went out, uh, and they had you know their fleet of boats out, and they fed me, which I deeply love. There's not many remotes mm. that you go to where the client has a whole barbecue platter out for you. So I got that. Uh, played some cornhole. Lost uh, by a lot. Mm. Y- you ever play cornhole? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I liked cornhole. I used to have my own set. My neighbor, Walker, and I would play a lot. He actually played in some tournaments. We were pretty good. So I never <laughs> played in tournaments like that. I wasn't on that ESPN 8, the Ocho, where you see them. <laughs> uh, I wasn't that good, but I, I dabbled. I... Cornhole is one of those things I wish I was good at because every single time it like appears in my life is usually at tailgates and there's always a group of like 10 to 20 people just standing around beer in hand watching and I am just awful. It's either too long, too short, or n- nothing near the board. And also, I'm horrible at math. So that scoring, it just it gets it scoring. Gets the... It is, yeah. You got to do a lot of counting. Exactly. Uh, then, well, you got this one, so you got to take one off. Then you get two. I just look at my partner. I'm like, listen. I'm I'm the brawn. I got it on the thing. <laughs> I got it on the thing. That has to be five points, right? And uh, on Friday, as we have mentioned, uh, pretty much every show that we have, we are graduates of Appalachian State University. I went up to uh, speak to a bunch of current uh, communications and electronic media broadcasting students with uh, past graduates from App State, and we were just talking about, like, you know, life in radio, life in TV, life in the industry, any shape or form. And there is one thing about Boone, and it's that there is always so much change, but it never changes. And the reason I say that is because the moment I drove in, the temperature on my car, you know, where it has the clock, uh, it went from about 62 driving up the mountain, and then now it's at 49. I drive in nothing but rain, just rain, cold, gloomy skies, and I mean this as a compliment, but also not that 
every Boone person still looks like every Boone person that I was up there in college. Like, you get up there, and it's just like, oh, yeah, we're definitely in Boone, North Carolina now. And it's so funny how that town just has such, like, a distinct look and feel to it. It really does. But a lot has changed. I still go up there pretty frequently because of Lila, so... It's it hasn't hit me as hard yet, especially since I graduated last year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I go back often enough where I'm not seeing it too drastically. But I mean, even from when I was first there, tore down, you know, half the campus, rebuilt yeah, a bunch campus of stuff. Was... Uh, yeah, they're I mean, they're they're on the map now. They're they're growing. It, it's, uh, it's funny. A nice be, place. It's funny because I went through the West Campus where they built all of these dorms. Like it looks completely different if you were an app student when I was a when I was a student up there to now in the range of just three or four years. Completely new buildings, completely new look all around the football stadium up there. And I low key just had like an existential crisis just driving through it. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this this little town with a box of some of my best memories looks nothing like what it was when I was here, and it just made me feel so old. Because in May, it's going to be four years since I graduated, you know. And how does that make you feel? It makes me feel not good, you know. Same amount of time out of college and in college. I know there are probably some grown adults with, like, mortgages listening to this. Like, oh, buddy, wait till it hits 20. But This man's in a therapy session. I am. Yeah, Ben. Should uh, charge you. Ben, no, no, no. If we go over the hour, can we just pay the same hour rates? <laughs> wow, they let you speak, though, to students? Yeah, on a panel. It wasn't just me. Uh, it wasn't just me. I did see a picture. You looked pretty... Uh... Well, I guess you, you, you and me. I feel like we just naturally get really red in the face. I'm but I saw a red. picture where you were, you were red. I was like, really? this man. What picture was it? Uh, I don't know. It was <laughs> from side angle. Justin Lundy was there. Also, another person in the industry posted it. Man. But um, I don't know. I was like, ooh, this man uh, must be talking. He's nervous. Is that rosacea? <laughs> I've always had rosy cheeks, and that's always been something that. It stinks having or your face getting red in any situation, whether you're exercising, exerting energy, uh, sweating, or just getting nervous or embarrassed. Because when your face gets red or really red, where it's pretty noticeable to everybody around you, they'll be like, oh, look at your face. Yeah. It's getting so red. <laughs> and then, obviously, the face help. just gets even more red. And they're like, why is it getting redder? And I'm just like, because you're making me insecure. <laughs> I digress. No. But, uh. Talking to them was funny because one of our old professors, uh, Ann Ward, lover to death, uh, someone was asking about, like, what the sports scene is like in Charlotte. And it was just funny having a professor that has followed me on Twitter. It's like, well, Mackie got his start in the Charlotte <laughs> sports scene because he posted a growl video. And so I had to explain all that, and I did that. And it was uh, pretty funny. And it was funny thinking that a professor that helped teach me get into the industry – Really thinks that like my start is just that dumb the growl video. video. Always uh, gonna be the growl guy. It was all yeah. I'm I'm for it. Growl and Domino's guy. That's all I am, and I'm cool with it because those things are what builds character <laughs> in men from Salisbury, North Carolina. Uh, all right, we'll get to, we'll stop talking about the growl. We'll stop talking about App State because I know uh, probably like three other people that went to App State listen to this show, and everybody else is like, I don't understand a single word that you're talking about. You will understand this though. You will understand the dominance of Caitlin Clark in these women's Final Four and just the tournament as a whole. Did you see that stat where uh, in the NCAA postseason alone, Caitlin Clark has scored more points than uh, Iowa's football team scored yeah, all season? Yeah, isn't that hilarious? Yes. And especially because I was ripping on Iowa's football team. <laughs> From early. the get-go. Yeah. From the and get-go. And about how they just are so boring and don't score any points. And then that graphic pops up. I was like the Leonardo DiCaprio meme. I was like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> Caitlin but, uh, Clark has been... 
what she's doing right now in uh, the tournament is reminding me of like that run that Steph Curry had with Davidson. Just a polarizing it, player taking one team and just not losing a step at any game throughout the whole bracket. Yeah, the only difference is, you know, Iowa is like a power five team. They're yeah. a major conference. Um, and they have a lot of other talent around mm-hmm. Caitlin Clark, but it does feel very similar in the sense that she's just in control the entire time. Exactly. Everyone is watching the game to watch her. It mm-hmm. was, it, it, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. And what's really cool is the Louisville game and the, the Louisville, Iowa game specifically. I mean, it peaked out. I don't know if you saw this. You probably did 2.7 million viewers. It was more than any NBA regular season game on ESPN so right. far, which that- made me happy to see mm-hmm. as it should be. I mean, I'll be honest. It, it's hard for me to catch a lot of NBA regular season games. And you have something here where it's just kind of like generational talent Mm -hmm. and you just want to witness the dominance. More people are just to want to tune in. And the average of those 2.5 million viewers saw Caitlin Clark drop a 41 point triple double, 41 points, 10 rebounds, 12 assists. And then in the game against South Carolina where they beat number one ranked South Carolina, she assisted or scored on every single point the Hawkeyes scored in the fourth quarter. Yeah, South Carolina undefeated defending champions. Right. And Caitlin Clark is just like, no. Playing defense. No respect to her to her opponent. Just like, yeah, we'll give her that. Yeah, it's just it's it's that mental game. Yeah, it was it drops forty points back to back games. And it, the thing that really got me is the efficiency. Mm-hmm. It's not like uh, a Russell Westbrook triple double <laughs> where he's jacking up 35 shots and, you know, or 40 shots. Um, she was efficient. She was shooting like 50% from the field. Yep. Uh, just a great player and finding the passing lanes too, you know, not forcing it and just just controlling the game in every aspect. It was it was fun to watch. It's also, I mean, you can just see the talent difference watching her for a couple of minutes. She's just faster than everybody. The amount of time she was just able to beat her defender one-on-one and get to the rim mm-hmm. like it was nothing. It was just nobody could defend her. I'm just, I mean, and I think this is that Steph Curry effect in basketball, but I'm just a fan of anybody who just at any point in the game takes two or three steps inside the logo and just pulls up with confidence and just drains it. And Caitlin Clark has been doing that all season. No, she has a quick release. I mean, it was fun watching in the South Carolina game. There were a couple times where she was at NBA range, deep range, Mm -hmm. and just pulled up and so quickly and got it off, hand in her face, splash. Her stroke is pure. I mean, she is an all-around just fantastic player. I mean, you saw, too, probably after the game, her dad was saying – she played with AAU boys mm-hmm. and won a state championship, and they were, you know, mad because they were like, she shouldn't be allowed to play in the league. It's like, well, she's dominating. Right. Stop her. And she's a three-time Olympic gold medalist, too, uh, as a women's basketball player. Mm. It's crazy. Nothing nothing but accolades for uh, Caitlin Clark. Caitlin Clark, the way she, as you said earlier, takes over the game, shoots with efficiency, and uh, the fact that, her, her effect on the game and Louisville is bringing this many viewers to women's basketball, to the NCAA tournament. I mean, it's, I mean, it's putting up the same numbers as a men's tournament. No, it is. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of people are going to watch or want to watch the Iowa national championship game against LSU over the national championship game for the men's. 
I don't know. I mean, just with how the tournament has been, I mm-hmm. mean, uh, and what I've been hearing from people, it's just they're kind of more engaged because you're just watching the dominance versus, you know, two teams that are here. And right now, uh, and this might be recency bias talking, but out of the two national championships that are now, you know, scheduled for uh, this upcoming week, Caitlin Clark, I feel like, is the biggest individual name right the biggest now. Story, well, that's what I'm saying. Sure, like, yeah. The story for college basketball postseason, both men's and women's, she has been the mo- the individual player that I see on social media the most, uh, sharing her stat lines the most, the highlights I'm seeing the most. The rest have been very team centric, but mm-hmm. and of course, like I was all Caitlin Clark with a good team around her, but I I, I might have a tendency to agree with you on that one. I know, I know, my eyes are gonna be glued to the TV watching Iowa and LSU. Exactly. I, I really Two other think, great teams. I really think. I mean, obviously, sports lovers are just gonna probably watch both. I would hope, mm-hmm. but it's just generating so much excitement. I mean, it's the biggest storyline, like you said, this year. It's just, it's got people hype. I love it. I'm ready to see what her impact on like the WNBA will be. Yeah. Like, what team? Pro- like, see, like, what, what, what her impact on the team that she's drafted to? I, I think you can for sure say like. Barring any, you know, unwanted career injuries, she's probably going to be one of the best WNBA players of all time. Mm-hmm. Especially, sh- like, and, and honestly, it, it, people can disagree with this, but she is the type of player that could spark debates for like, why couldn't she be in the league? Mm-hmm. You know, as in the in the NBA, no, and because she could compete. And I have had this talk with a few friends and stuff. I mean, it's pu- it's purely just the shooting skill and her ability to to create plays. Exactly, she's fast enough and quick enough to get open off ball, like mm-hmm. Steph Curry. She has a quick release, pure stroke. There's no reason why she couldn't compete in the NBA and it, actually be an efficient and good scorer. And she could be. It's just fun watching uh, watching a player have. So many of like the same or similar skill sets as some of the greatest shooters in uh, NBA history, or some of the greatest shooters that we have ever watched in the tournament, uh, and that's I mean, and I think that's one of the reasons why people just love sports because every single year there's a new story, there's a new player coming out that is doing uh, something that a lot of people think or may think can't be done uh, consistently or they haven't seen before, and mm-hmm. then this on this stage in the postseason for the NCAA. This is, like, where names are created that we remember for decades down the road, whether they play overseas, play professionally, in any capacity, play for the Olympic teams. And so I I, th- I, th- I just think Caitlin Clark is that next, uh, or already is just that next big athlete name, especially during the basketball season right now. So we, we had to give her her flowers right here on the Uptown Sports Crowd because what we're watching as you mentioned, to quote you earlier, is uh, generational talent from Caitlin Clark and the Iowa basketball team. Yeah, expect a lot of endorsements coming her way. Oh. Going to see her everywhere. Subway oh. commercials, probably. <laughs> She'll be up there with Steph. Right, <laughs> Steph and draw Barkley. <laughs> that was a horrible Charles Barkley impression. <laughs> to help you forget about that Barkley impression, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to transition over to the final four games that happened last night between FAU and San Diego State, and then Miami and UConn, with UConn and San Diego State slated to face off in the national championship tomorrow night. Don't go anywhere. This is the Uptown Sports Crowd on Fox Sports Radio Charlotte. And now back to more of the Uptown Sports Crowd on Fox Sports Radio Charlotte 94.7. Move outside and let the man go through. Let the man go through. 
the Uptown Sports Crowd on Fox Sports Radio Charlotte. You can catch us on 94.7 FM every single Sunday from 9 to 10 a.m. If you can't catch the show when it airs at 9, you can catch the podcast of the show on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere digitally, including FoxSportsRadioCharlotte.com or the Fox Sports Radio Charlotte mobile app available for all devices. My name is Mackie Gallagher. Ben Cole with me. Got done talking about Caitlin Clark's dominance in the NCAA Women's Tournament so far. Her and the Iowa Hawkeyes will be taking on the LSU Tigers. Now we're going to transition to the men's tournament and the final four that occurred last night, starting off with the first game of the night with FAU versus San Diego State. As we mentioned on previous shows, this was a unique final four. You had the FAU, the nine-seed FAU uh, Owls, facing off against the number five San Diego State University. And then the second game, you had number four UConn versus number six Miami. So pretty pretty high seeds in the final four. Number five Miami, excuse me. Pretty high seeds in the final four this season in the men's uh, tournament. And with FAU San Diego State, that was an entertaining game to watch last night. It really was. That one uh, didn't seem like it was going to be all that entertaining, kind of getting into the early second half. But San Diego State did not give up. They come back, make things interesting all the way down to the wire. And they end up pulling through 72-71 to if you did not see the final score. San Diego State going to the national championship game off of a buzzer beater. Love we it. always love March Madness buzzer beaters. Especially was, in the final four. Exactly, and it was the first one in the final four uh, going back to 2021 um, when Gonzaga beat UCLA. Um, but we love to see buzzer beaters, especially at the highest stage like mm-hmm. that, to send your team to the national championship Um Lamont Butler hit that game winner. Only had nine points, but right. you hit the game winner to send your team to the title. That's all that matters. And, hey, it was one of those situations, Mac, that we talked about the other yep. week. Yep. Would you rather have the ball down one with one possession to go or be on defense up one? And uh, we saw it here. San Diego State came through. It's always uh, it's always nice being able to somewhat control your own destiny. And I think at the end of the I think at the end of that discussion last week, we both said we would rather have the ball for that exact reason. Um, let's just start off with that play. If you're listening to the show, you most likely watched that game or have already seen that the highlight or the replay of that uh, shot. It was a picture perfect shot. The form, the follow through, everything. One of those where the moment it left its hands from the angle he was on the court, kind of in the corner inside the perimeter, you you could see the line to the basket right away the moment the ball left his fingertips. With that, one thing I found found pretty unique about the play is, you know, they got the rebound, San Diego State did, about had seven, six seconds on the clock when that rebound was a pulled in and didn't call a timeout. The guy with the rebound stood there for a second. They looked up and they just ran with it. And he was running towards the baseline. Butler was. And then you even heard Jim Nance on the call say one second left. And he just pulls up and shoots it. Uh, And the coach for San Diego State made a joke saying he was just going to let the players play because he didn't have another play drawn up. He didn't have any plays left. And so Uh, I don't know if he's just saying that, but I did think it was uh, interesting to say the least that no timeout was taken there, especially with both teams using multiple timeouts within literally the last 35 seconds of game time. And I want to get more into that in a second, but it is interesting because it's one of those things where if San Diego State doesn't hit the shot, Brian Dutcher, their coach, Kind of looks bad. Yep. It's like you're down one, you have the ball, call a timeout, draw up a nice play that you know can work and score. But at the same time, I also like this scenario where you don't call the timeout, 
because you don't want to let the defense get set. Mm -hmm. You have the ball in a transition opportunity there after um, that play. So just let your guys run with it. Trust your team. Butler, yeah, kind of dribbled himself into a corner there, went to the baseline, but did a great job just to create some space, turn around, be able to get the shot up, and that was pure. I mean, it, I, as soon as it left his fingers, I was like, oh, game. Exactly. Yeah, it was it was a great play. But kind of getting into the timeout situation, because San Diego State, if you watch this game, it was looking pretty grim for a while oh, for, yeah. for many reasons. So first of all, San Diego State, you know, lives on their defense. They are a very good defensive team. It's what got them here. Um, you know, the game to send them to the final four, they held opposing team, the 50 something points. Um, that's their bread and butter, but coming into this FAU offensive team average about 80 a game and Ooh. they came in and they had San Diego state figured out. They had 60 points with 10 minutes to go in the second half. They were exactly on pace for their 80 point average, which had San Diego state in the blender. FAU was up 14 points. They had the game in control. They they shot nine of 22 from three. They were hitting their shots. San Diego state, they can't keep up. It's like kind of the Virginia conversation mm -hmm. I've had. And you know, one of the scenarios, it's just so hard for them to keep up. So how did it get to this? How did FAU have 60 points? With 10 minutes to go in the game and only score 71, they just collapsed. And a big part of it was rebounding, which pains me. I'm not even a Florida Atlantic fan, oh. but just as like a sports fan, as like a basketball person, what, what, what do you, you want to say? Oh, I was going to say that rebounding, uh, that I guess that two-minute span yeah. where they had, what, eight, eight or nine offensive rebounds? San Diego State had eight offensive rebounds in about three minutes. Um, the best after, stat in basketball. It, it in my started opinion. to get like, it was almost like the yips at a certain point. Like FAU stopped going up and grabbing the ball, and it just started getting batting around. They couldn't grab it. You know, they were dropping rebounds. Like it, it was, it looked like the yips at a certain point. I mean, it was bad, and obviously that hurts your team from a mental and physical standpoint. When San Diego State's getting four possessions uh, back to back, um, it just wears you down. But uh, that is one thing I want to talk about with the timeouts is, you, like you said, most of the timeouts were taken literally in the last minute and a half of the game. Yes. Uh, both teams had about three timeouts with two minutes to go. And, uh, and each they made sure had, like, to one. use all of them except yeah. for San Diego State. Um, and that's one thing I want to talk about. Love Dusty May, great coach. But he did not call a single timeout in that you know last 10-minute stretch, basically, to settle his team down, which I, which I thought was maybe not the best move. Um, in a game of that magnitude with the atmosphere and everything and obviously college sports with where momentum plays such a big factor, your team was obviously losing its grip on that game where you had control almost the entire point. That's one of those situations where you just want to take a quick 30-second timeout, settle your guys down, especially after that sequence of offensive rebounds. You just got to relay that fundamental message. Mm -hmm. Box out. Mark a guy. Box out. Like, let's get back to the fundamentals because they had lost track of the fundamentals. And it was showing. And um, it just not using those timeouts, I think, kind of hurt them. And you mentioned you, as a coach with Dusty Mays, you, like, you're seeing your team lose grip of the game. I mean, there was a stretch where the Owls of FAU only had one bucket in six minutes and 15 seconds of game time. Exactly. During that same stretch, San Diego State has missed eight of 11 free throw attempts. So, I mean, and there were some fouls with the with the officiating and, and where the, I thought uh, it was a little touchy and, San Diego State was definitely outraking San them Diego at the uh, State free throw line. Got blessed by yes. the referees. We can objectively say that there were a lot of foul calls where it was there just wasn't a foul. I mean, there was one um, 
where Golden for FAU had a clean block mm-hmm. on a on a poster opportunity. Just got all ball. They called a foul. Um, there was another towards the end of the game where there was just no contact and they called a foul. Uh, and on the other side, I mean, it looked like FAU kind of they were either really good at flopping or the refs were blatantly missing some some bad some bad fouls because there were a couple times on rebounds where FAU guys were getting bodied and on the floor and there were just no calls. Yeah, the, uh, fr- the free throw disparity in the last 10 minutes of the second half between FAU and San Diego State really was noticeable in San Diego State's favor. And it it was crazy to me just sitting there watching it. And you're seeing FAU offensively kind of dwindle down, not be able to get any of their uh, buckets to go in. And then you have San Diego State having every opportunity to, you know, shrink the lead with no time running on the clock at the free throw line. And they're missing so many free throws. It, it, it was it was it was a very, very funky last an ugly five, pass. six minutes yeah. of, the, of the game. And then, of course, in storybook fashion, it ends off that miraculous shot mm-hmm. by Butler. And I'm just like, there's there's no other way this game could have ended based on how it was. Right. It was back and forth in the first half. I mean, there were like five lead changes already. It was. It was. But FAU really did start to take control because, I mean, they were just a great offensive team. They were hitting their shots. And if they're hitting their shots, they're dangerous. Um, and they really just had control of the game. I and mean, they're up 14 at one point. But it just slipped away. And it's interesting you mentioned the free throw disparity because at the end of the day, um, 21 free throw attempts for FAU, 22 attempts for San Diego State. So it was actually pretty much dead even in that department. But moving forward for the Aztecs, they have got to step it up at the line because 13 of 22 below 60% is not going to cut it. Because if you are utilizing that and you're drawing fouls and getting to the line – Oh my gosh, you have got to take advantage. That is one area where FAU actually really dominated. They went 16 of 21 from the line, shooting at about 76%. Uh, it is crazy just, I mean, it, it, it's crazy that San Diego State won this game. I mean, yes, they missed a lot of free throws, but this is a team that does not typically score a lot of points. And honestly, their shooting came through for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were 9 of 18 from beyond the, beyond the arc. Um, shooting 50% from three is always going to put you in a good spot to win. Um, 40, 44% from the field in general. They didn't turn the ball over a lot. They played pretty well, honestly, offensively. Um, they're going to need another game like that if if they want to beat UConn. They're going to need their best game if they want to beat UConn. Because that's what I was thinking. You can get away with, you know, that poor free throw performance in one of the biggest games you'll ever play in once. Can you do it two games in a row? And uh, as you said, the disparity wasn't there in the overall totals. But at the end of the game, San Diego State did have um, more consistent chances to get points on the board at the free throw line. And as like, I mean, I'm not a fan really of any of either team. I was rooting more for FAU in this uh, mm-hmm. in this matchup. Conference USA. Conference USA got to. But uh, it was it was frustrating just watching a team in the final four not be able to rebound. And then mm-hmm. a team in the final four not be able to make free throws. That's what I was saying. It was infuriating from just a sports fan standpoint. I never finished that thought, actually, because you put your hand up. Um, <laughs> God, this guy. But um, that's what I was saying. Like, I'm not even a fan. But watching that sequence, I was like, oh, my goodness. Just box out. It, like, fundamentals. That's what I'm saying. It, it started to get so frustrating because, you know, there wasn't a big size disparity. And FAU has golden who's eight feet tall or something, Hodor. But it's like, box out. Get a guy. I mean, just just secure the ball. Slow it down for a second. FAU likes to go up-tempo, but just slow it down. Um, and that that's what frustrated me, too. Uh, John L. Davis, 
um, was is a very good player for FAU. Has kind of been like the glue to that team. And there was a sequence during all of those offensive rebounds where he secured one and tried to push the tempo and sent it up and forced a pass mm-hmm. up the court. And it was a turnover, went out of bounds, and then it started all over again. And that's just one of those scenarios where you have to be like, just settle down. Mm-hmm. That's one of those things where it's like Dusty May, you call timeout. Yeah. Just just settle your team down. You know, get back to the fundamentals. But um, give credit to FAU. I mean, nine seed making it. I did say it was a funky year. Um, any anybody, I, I think I literally said verbatim. It's one of those years where I think like a nine seed could win it all. I really thought FAU had a chance. It looked like they were going to get the win in this one. Um, just things didn't fall apart. But give credit to them. I mean, on the map, I know they have a lot of money coming in now. I think I saw an article like tens of millions of dollars coming in to upgrade facilities and everything, which is an interesting storyline. If you didn't hear, Dusty May. Um, said when he got hired at FAU, he immediately had a mental breakdown because he thought he uh, committed, like, career suicide, basically. Really? Did you hear about this? I have not heard oh, about okay. this. Okay, so, yeah, Dusty May um, took the job. He said, I'm a very impulsive person. <laughs> I feel you, Dusty. But um, <laughs> Dusty May took the job. He was an assistant at Florida. Very good gig, um, obviously. But he took the FAU job through, like, you know, mutual connections without ever seeing the facilities and the campus. And then he got there after literally signing the contract and he saw the facilities and like the locker rooms and everything. And he was like, what have I done? And he like literally had a breakdown. Like he said, he talked to his wife and everything and his kids and like his wife basically like was like, you got to do this or like you should do this. And uh, look at him now. And now they're going to get a big upgrade right. to all of that. You know, he's going to get some good recruits probably with putting FAU on the map. I mean, they're competitive. Mm-hmm. And Conference USA isn't a bad conference. No. Not at all. And having a mental breakdown and going to the Final Four, I would love for, you know, the later months after a mental breakdown I have to have the same effect on my life as going to the Final Four would be. <laughs> right. So it seems like it's working out for uh, Dusty Mays, too. And uh, something that surprised me as I, after I looked into it a little bit more was FAU was a nine seed, but they were 35-3 and three going into this game. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, and that, <laughs> like, is, that is one of the downsides of being like a mid-major team. I mean, you can just like kind of like Wichita State back in the day. I mean, they were going two loss, undefeated seasons some years and uh, still having to get that tournament win to get the automatic bid into the tournament. Um, similar situation for FAU, um, but expect them to be back for sure. Yeah, they're going to they're be even, even hungrier for it now, knowing every, that they can go back, watch tape, know, see the tendencies, see what they didn't do right Definitely. when they needed to. And uh very talented team, and it looks like that Maze is, uh, you know, building up that program that he was having a mental breakdown about not too long ago. Uh, one more thought on the game I want to get your thought on is because uh, we did uh, we had a nice little segment of trashing the Mountain West, and now uh, right. there is a team from the Mountain West division that is now uh, representing the Mountain West in the national championship. So, do you have just any uh, you know fluke. thoughts on that? Fluke. fluke. <laughs> it is a fluke. I, if I'm being honest, I mean, San Diego State is know, historically— They, they kind of got robbed in 2020. They did. I was going to say I'm glad to see them make it for the reason that they were setting up to be a one seed uh, when the pandemic hit and uh, that tournament got canceled. So unfortunate um, that happened to them. So good to see them make it back. And, yes, Mountain West team, give them their props. They, they sent one. San Diego State's doing a lot of the heavy lifting <laughs> for that conference. That's all I'll say. What, the other 11 teams that made the tournament in the past couple of years have all lost? So, thank goodness you have the Aztecs. Their back hurts, Mountain West. You need to bless them with some amenities and stuff. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, San Diego State, Mountain West team did it. 
hey, you were right, I was wrong. <laughs> You're smart, I'm stupid. <laughs> was that a Happy Gilmore quote yeah. or something? There you go, Mountain West. You got your love from Ben Cole. You did it. You won <laughs> Ben over. You have his support. Don't go anywhere on the Uptown Sports Crowd. When we come back, we're now going to uh, preview the national championship after going over the other game that happened. Miami, UConn. Less eventful, but still things to talk about. Don't go anywhere. Uptown Sports Crowd, Fox Sports Radio, Charlotte. Uptown Sports Crowd on Fox Sports Radio Charlotte. Just got done talking about the FAU San Diego State Final Four matchup. Now we're going to transition over to Miami versus UConn. Before we do that, I fact-checked myself, and I need to uh, correct myself. Earlier in the show, I said Caitlin Clark had three Olympic gold medals. She has three gold medals with USA Basketball on the World Cup team. So not Olympic gold medals, still very impressive, but I wanted to make sure that I fact-checked myself. So FAU San Diego State was exciting, fun ending to watch, especially with the shot to uh, send San Diego State to the national championship. Uh, The game that followed that, not as exciting with the Miami Hurricanes taking on the UConn Huskies. And uh, going into this game, Ben, was there uh, any thoughts or anything that crossed your mind saying that like this game could come down to the wire? Or going into the game, did it look like one of the two teams had a leg up on their opponent? Uh, Gun to my head, I had to bet the house on a team I was going to go UConn. I was actually, uh, you know, again, as a sports fan, I really just didn't want to see a blowout. I don't like seeing blowouts, you know, in big stages like Mm this. Um, I was rooting for a close game, but I was worried before the game started in the back of my head that UConn was just going to run away with this. I mean, they held the best scoring team in the country in Gonzaga to 54 points the game before. Um, They have been totally dominant, and they showed up once again against Miami, just had control basically the whole time. The first half was a game of runs. I mean, UConn got off to a quick 9-0 start, and then Miami uh, cut the lead and kind of started to get back into their groove. They got off to a slow start, but, you know, got the jitters away. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it was pretty back and forth. Uh, from that point on, but at the end of the first half, UConn went on another run, kind of took command of the game. It was double digits, 13 points, and then to start the second half, which is what you need to do when you go into the lead or when you go into the half with a lead, especially double digits, and you're going back to like FAU, for instance, got to keep your foot on the gas pedal. You have to come out strong. You don't want that team to get on a run in a hot start to get that momentum back to start the second half. Um, UConn did not. They went up 20 when the second half started. Miami did cut into that a little bit, but UConn just stayed in control the whole game. Uh, They look like the best team in the country right now. Uh, We'll talk about it more, but I think they're going to beat San Diego State in the national championship game. It's their fifth national championship appearance now in program history, all five of them coming Mm. since 1999. So good time to be a UConn fan in the last two decades. Yeah, during that time, both the men's and women's team for UConn has just been redefining college hoops. Uh, throughout the years like you said since 1999 
Uh, both teams last night, the winning team scored 72 points. I don't know if that's something. I don't know if that's the, I don't know if that's the if that's the thing to look for. You know, there are those stats where it's like uh, this team is undefeated. They're the first ones to reach this number on the scoreboard. Is that number 72 for the national championship? I don't know. I'm no math magician. Uh, Miami, the uh, lone ACC representative in the final four. Uh, something that you, we don't really see that often. Uh, ACC team not named, you know, Duke or UNC making it to the uh, Sweet 16 Elite Eight. So uh, pretty cool having a new team represent a powerhouse conference in uh, college basketball. It was. Uh, and like Jim Laranega, uh, you know, it's pretty impressive to get to two Final Fours in, in George Mason and then Miami. I mean, just not two schools you would expect. Exactly. I mean, just great coaching and a great career. And that and that just shows you that I mean uh, him as a coach is doing mm-hmm. something for the teams that uh, that he's uh, coaching because there are sometimes where it's like is this coach good or is it just him and that special team mesh very well he was the perfect coach for their play styles but when you're taking two teams that. Uh, with George Mason especially, like nobody expected George Mason to ever be in the Final Four. And at Miami, you know, Power Five school, ACC, I mean, they have the ability to uh, make a name for themselves in basketball. They have in the past, but to have that same coach that took George Mason do it with Miami, who hasn't really, you know, we haven't haven't really ever seen in uh, the Final Four. Very, very impressive. UConn, uh, offensively, very efficient. As as we talk about, it's very important with shooting. I mean, you can always be a good shooter, but you got to make sure that you're taking the right shots at the right time. Uh, San Diego State, more of a defensive team. Uh, we saw both of that with UConn. UConn really displayed their offensive and defensive skills as a team against Miami. Uh, is there anything that you saw with Miami during the game that they were doing that, you know, looked a little bit uncharacteristic or did it just look like pure dominance from U- UConn from the beginning? It wasn't because- necessarily dominance, but UConn was just the better team throughout the entirety of the game. And one thing, it was a downside for Miami and gonna, I'm a short King five, eight proud, but uh, I will say as you know, a former rec league champion, a former Hooper myself, uh, it's harder to make layups sometimes as a as a small guard. I mean, it just creates tougher shots. You're not as close to the hoop, obviously, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but Miami had 15 missed layups, I think. Miami layups. is a very uh, guard-heavy team. They have a very good backcourt and everything. They're very quick, but it hurt them in this game a lot, just contested tough layups and then easy ones. They weren't getting – they just weren't getting the ball to drop. Um, you know, they only shot 32% in the game. Um, just couldn't get the ball to drop. I will say Isaiah Wong has been the leader of that team, you know, in his uh, tenure at Miami. And he was terrific, as always, uh, creating steals. He had a couple steals, 15 points, leading the scoring for Miami. I wish he shot the ball more. He only took 10 shots. He was 4 of 10, 2 of 4 from 3. Isaiah Wong has been the that guy for Miami, and I kind of wanted to see him try and take over a little more. Uh, you know, he was getting out there, running in transition, really uh, – getting the momentum back for Miami at certain points where it looks like the game was getting away from him. Um, you know, he's a great shooter, playmaker, very quick off the dribble, uh, can break guys' ankles. I wanted to see him kind of just take over and shoot the ball a little more in the second half when it was still double digits getting back, getting down to that five-minute mark. Um, but Miami didn't really do anything poorly, honestly. Uh, it was just unfortunate. They also uh, didn't do a fantastic job of rebounding. They got out-rebounded 
41 to 32, mm-hmm. uh, which is always, you know, sometimes a signifier of who wins games. Um, 35% from three, though, they really just didn't play that bad. UConn was just better team. They shot 50% from the field, too. It's hard, it's hard to play catch-up yeah. in the second half down 13 when the other team just isn't missing shots. And that's something that I feel like San Diego State's really going to have to focus on because, as I mentioned uh, before, you know, their 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 thing is defense. Defense, defense, defense. Didn't really display it against FAU. Uh, it's going to have to come out against UConn. I mean, because all season, UConn has been putting points up, uh, have been putting points up on their opponents uh, like it's nothing. And, I mean, there we even talked about before uh, we came on the show about, you know, UConn's game versus Gonzaga and how they held them. And uh, if UConn does that to San Diego State and keeps up with that offensive pressure – I mean, it's hard for me to even think that the national championship could be close. I would love it to be. I would love it to come down to the wire like the FAU-San Diego State game. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for me to see that with the way UConn has been playing this whole tournament. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I have to agree with you. I-, I think we could be seeing one of those years where it's just not the most entertaining championship game. And now now we're not experts in case we're totally wrong. <laughs> Burns says, what if San Diego State blows out UConn? You never know. It's college basketball. But with the recent trends and kind of that recency bias, San Diego State is going to have to have another shooting performance like they did last night um, against UConn. But with how UConn shut down Gonzaga, I mean, 54 points against the number one offense. um, And then with that on the offensive end, they are just red hot right now. look really good on the floor just a lot of chemistry great coaching on their end too it's just hard for me to see UConn losing this game uh it's gonna take a great shooting performance from San Diego State and and a bad shooting performance from UConn and San Diego State's gonna have to win the rebounding margin they're gonna have to do all of the right things Mm -hmm. now if there's uh unless there's any final thoughts specifically on the Miami UConn game you mentioned they're going to have to do all of the right things, uh, both teams, to, uh, to, you know, to come out on top. What are some of those keys to this national championship for, let's start off with San Diego State. Defense, obviously, keep playing up to that reputation of being a great defensive team. And uh, with that comes, you know, keeping up offensively. But are there, are there other things that uh, San Diego State needs to really focus on, need to do to stay in the running with UConn come Monday night? Uh, they obviously have to step it up at the free throw line. Uh, 59% is not going to cut it in a national championship game. On the other side of that, they need to stay out of foul trouble. Guys like Mensa, mm-hmm. Lede need to stay out of foul trouble, and they need to they need to shut down UConn early. Uh, if UConn figures out that defense and, and they get off to a hot start, San Diego State just isn't going to be able to play catch up the entire time. Um, but but what like I said, when it comes down to it, just fundamentals. Don't turn the ball over. Turnovers are key. You don't want to let the game get away from you. you don't want to let it become a game of runs um, and UConn can get out and run. You know, they're an up-tempo team. San Diego State really has to control the tempo from that standpoint. Um, and they, they need to win the game down low too. They need to get a lot of offensive rebounds again. Just the basics. And out-rebound, out-score, win game. Out-rebound, out-score, win game. Simple enough. Uh, every time I watch sports, I try to learn something, try to get a different perspective and uh, try to see – what something new I should look for is. And during the halftime show of the FAU San Diego State game, Kenny the Jet Smith brought something to my attention. And he talked about 
how much better of a defensive team San Diego State is as the shot clock is winding down rather than early on in the shot clock, saying that if FAU wants to get their their offense going, they need to find their good shots within the first 15 to 20 seconds of the shot clock shot clock because once it gets down to 13 12 seconds San, San Diego State starts getting reset and they lock in and it was pretty cool throughout the rest of the game watching that come to fruition especially mm-hmm. with Mensa like every single time you know the shot clock got down to below 10 and they start running their play from the top of the key they just could not really get a pass or every pass was met with the defender right on the hip of the person who was receiving the ball and I think that I, I guess I haven't really noticed that with many teams this year in the tournament. But ever since the Jet pointed it out to me, that that could be a huge advantage for San Diego State going into the national championship. It's true. I mean, their defense, it's very solid. They have a very strong help defense. They move as a unit. And like you said, when it gets late in the shot clock, they are just on the same page at all times. They're constantly switching uh, communicating and really just always have the help there on the on the backside. Um, it, so it is going to make things difficult for UConn. Just my thing is UConn's just more efficient team. Mm-hmm. They just, I just don't think San Diego State's going to be able to keep up with them. If I'm being real, I don't, I don't think San Diego State is is shooting fifty percent from three again. It's just not happening, and it's going to be tough to stop a UConn team that just has so many dynamic scores. It, it, it's going to be their toughest game of the year. Now let's think into some of the things that don't go directly into the play of the game that can determine the outcome. So for example, it may not be these players specifically on the UConn team, but do you think UConn as a program as a whole who have been in this situation in the national championship five times since 1999, as you mentioned, do you think, you know, that experience at the program level, at the university level, uh, kind of translates down to the current players? And, you know, could that release some nerves that San Diego State might feel more of because uh, as a program, San Diego State hasn't been in as many uh, national championships as UConn, especially during that time. Uh, do you think that could play a factor at all? The experience level of just the two programs as a whole or since they're new teams, is it really just me fishing for something? It's a good question. It's probably a bit of a reach, but also at the same time with a program as seasoned as UConn, like you mentioned, you never know who is in the ears of these guys mm-hmm. or who is kind of like mentoring. I mean, you never know. Shabazz Napier, Kemba Walker could be talking to some of these UConn players uh, going in preparation for this game, just kind of talking about their experiences, kind of just staying in the, what mindset you need to be in, stuff like that. Um, so you don't really know. But at the core of it, no, I, I don't think it plays too much of a factor. Um, I don't think th- these guys are thinking about it. Like you said, it's a new, new team, new year every time, new game, just these guys are taking it one day at a time. Yeah. They're just going to be taking it in. And it's good that you bring up the like who who are talk or who is talking to these players. Like who who have been in this situation are giving their first-hand accounts of how to handle when this specific thing happens on the court. How do you keep your mind right? Because with these final four games, always a fan of the bench being a little bit below uh, court level, but you're going from playing in these arenas that are a little bit more compact to now these football stadiums in Houston. Mm -hmm. And you see the shots of, you know, the camera that might be below, uh, uh, mid-court, below court level, following the person or the point guard as he's uh, bringing the ball across the timeline. And then you see just the football stadium filled with people behind them. And I always think 
of what these student athletes, emphasis on the student, are mm-hmm. thinking when they're playing in front of tens of thousands, close to uh, 80,000 people rather than maybe 20, 25,000 people. And, you know, they're 18 to 22, 23 years old. And it's just a whole different stage. And you have, like, way more cameras on you, a lot more production that goes into the pregame. It's no longer just a regular basketball game. And I truly believe that, like, you know, atmosphere fans, they play so much into games. They play Mm -hmm. so much into the momentum swings. And so sometimes I wish I can get into the psyche of players who have been in this situation at, at a very young age, not only in the stadium or, or the arena, but with the millions of people that are watching on TV, knowing that they are probably going to be participating in one of the, the most watched things on television that specific night. No, it's it's very good point you make because we don't know. We're uh, <laughs> we're not at that stage. We're not that high profile. No. We'll never we'll never in any way or shape or form understand that experience but it's true you have no idea i mean it's the biggest stage butler lamon butler's shot i mean that he will <laughs> never he will most likely never hit a bigger shot unless he tops it off and does the same thing in the, <laughs> right, national, in the championship national championship game, championship game. it's like it's a, it's a new wave of emotions and everything that they're experiencing i can't even imagine it's hard to put in words for me because like you said it's experience that only a handful of people understand but yeah it would be interesting to talk to some of these former players and everything and i mean i'm sure you can go and find out what they were what the they were going through um but yeah it's cool stuff and it, i'm sure if anybody ever asks what's going through your mind it's always the same answer man i just the you sports know answer. <laughs> just, yeah. uh, i had to get downhill and you know just find my spot get the shot of gotta trust in myself teammates believe in me i gotta believe in myself too and i'm like you know what good answer yeah was heard that 40 times Focusing back on the Butler shot, because that will definitely be a shot in college basketball history that anytime I see a highlight or it's like on this day five years ago, Butler hit this shot to send uh, San Diego State to the national championship. I remember where I was, who I was watching it with, uh, and my roommate Nick brought up a good point after we watched it. He said, man, it's going to be so cool for that kid to rewatch this highlight and have Jim Nance in the background say San Diego State doesn't have their shooters on the floor with like yeah. two seconds left and then he's like there's one second he pulls up and makes it like having that comment made and then still being right. able to drain that shot to send your team to the natty like there has to be no that's the only thing that could have made that specific shot sweeter is someone mentioning is like oh there's not really a single person on this floor <laughs> that that you know is like okay they're getting the ball to make the shot but trash no. <laughs> right <laughs> Jim Nance throw that little uh, that little slide in there and he still just pulled up and I, I and I'll say it again it was just a picture perfect shot like when it they was. showed it down the slow mo or when they slowed it down the slow motion replay just everything about it was just pure pure basketball yeah how many times do you think Lamont Butler has already watched the the replay. No, I, 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 phone. I, I would have done it a thousand times. Like, how can I do this every single shot? <laughs> how can I? Now he's probably thinking, like, all I need is this is, t- is Monday's game to just go, come down to the exact right. same situation. He said, "Where's my nil deal? <laughs> Where's my nil deal? I'll do it right now." Final, <laughs> uh, final score predictions for, for UConn versus San Diego State national championship. What's Ben thinking? Before we go on, real sports analyst. Um. With my gut, I think this UConn team is the hottest they have been all year. Obviously, they're in the national championship, but I think they're in a groove right now. I expect it to continue. They get past the pressure. They win 78-65. Okay. 
That's pretty much the same route I was I was going to take. I think San Diego State keeps up with them throughout to a the certain whole game. Point. Like yeah, to a certain point, like it's always going to be within like ten to fourteen points. So, like no matter seven what. to fourteen, yeah. that area. Like it's just nonstop. You know they go on their runs, catch up. UConn will go on their runs, extend the lead. But I think when it comes down to it, you know the time for fouling starts happening. UConn's not going to miss at the free throw line. I was going to say final score is seventy five uh, sixty two for me. Oh okay, yeah, uh, very similar. Like I, I don't think it's going to be quite a ten point win or uh, less than a ten point win. But like I said, I think they're going to be in the running the whole time to where it's like, oh, if a couple turnovers and a couple of momentum swings happen, they're right back into this game. Yep. But uh, as we've talked about this whole segment, I think UConn is going to, you know, be in control with San Diego State being the one that has to play catch up. Agreed. Either way, as uh, not really a fan of either team, just a fan of basketball and sports. If I want this to be the best possible game. Yeah, let's see another buzzer beater. Oh, That's let's see I another. I don't, yeah, San, San Diego State proved me wrong. Yep. It would be great. Uptown Sports Crowd, Fox Sports Radio, Charlotte. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And now back to more of the Uptown Sports Crowd on Fox Sports Radio, Charlotte, 94.7. Move outside and let the man go through. Let the man go through. Move outside and let the man go through. Let the man go the Uptown Sports Crowd on Fox Sports Radio Charlotte. Thank you for spending an hour of your Sunday with us, or if you're listening to the podcast, thank you for just spending an hour with us in general. Uh, Mackie Gallagher here, Ben Cole with me as always. As we wrap up the show, and you know, with the national championship happening this week, the Masters is starting soon. Same with the NBA postseason, along with the NHL postseason, and MLB opening day was just a few days ago. I want to know. Your opinion on this, your thoughts. What would you say is the best championship in sports, whether it's one game or a series? What do you think is the best single sporting event that's a championship in the sports realm? That's such a hard question, especially like as genuine sports fans, because I feel like it's seasonal for me. I mean, I could say one, but then the next comes around. Like right now, March Madness is going on, and I'm like, oh, my God, March Madness is the best thing ever. But then it ends, and then, like, the Super Bowl comes along, or the Stanley Cup, and I'm like, oh, my God, I love the Stanley Cup. Like, it's just such a good trophy and everything. You know, the cup, the players drinking out of it, it passing it to each other. And then, you know, obviously the Fall Classic with the World Series. Like, I'm just so seasonal. Like, it's all my favorite as it comes. If I had to pick, though, being a little biased personally, well, actually, it's not even biased because I never even played hockey. Or anything like that. I've played pretty much every other sport at some sort of competitive level. And I'm a fan of every sport. But I think I got to go hockey. Stanley Cup. (laughs) Just because the Stanley Cup. It's just the coolest trophy in my opinion. It's cool. Everyone gets their names engraved on it. You know, you get to keep it for a year afterwards. And every player takes turns. You get to, obviously when you win it, players drink out of it and celebrate and everything. I really like the Stanley Cup, but obviously I know that is the most unpopular opinion (laughs) someone could have. I know everyone's like, oh, boo. But if I had to pick another one after the Stanley Cup, I'd probably just have to say Super Bowl just because of the magnitude of it, all of the legendary Super Bowl moments. I'd have to say that in second. And then third, probably, like, and this is where it's like, are we tying in March Madness and the National Championship together? Because it's like, I'd almost rather have, I'd put like the National Championship college mm-hmm. third, 
behind Super Bowl and Stanley Cup, but also it's like I'd rather take day one and two of like March Madness because yeah. of all of the upsets and just Cinderella stories. Mm-hmm. I'd rather take that aspect and put it third over the national championship of As March Madness. Yeah. No, I agree. Super Bowl is definitely the one for me, the one game. I like the competition, one game to decide it all. I'd probably put the college national championship right below that simply because I feel like every single year it's a great game that has some kind of story or has something memorable that comes out of it that people talk about the next go-around. Like, there have been a couple of NBA finals recently that, like, I can't really recall maybe one of the one of the teams that was in it. or And same, mm-hmm. and, uh, same with World Series. Uh, and, of course, there are going to be more diehard fans in these specific sports than I am that will tell me that's a very yeah, stupid yeah. take. And I understand that. Uh, also, with the Masters coming up, I'm not a golf guy, but there is one thing I know when the Masters or President's Cup or Wells Fargo Championship is happening, it takes over everything within that golf world. And so I... As somebody who doesn't follow golf or really watch the Masters unless it's on around me, uh, I'm not going to put that at the top of my list, but I know so many people that would put the Masters up there. See, so as a golfer, uh, I really enjoy the Masters. And and maybe I'm just a trophy guy. I really like cool awards and stuff like that. And I really do enjoy how the Masters does the green jacket yes. and, and the passing it off like the winner from the previous year puts it on the, the winner of that year. I really ceremony. like that tradition. The Masters is very fun. I mean, Sunday of the Masters, like that is the one time where it's like, I'll watch them cough. Yeah. I mean, when it gets down to the wire and I mean, and there have been scenarios where, you know, it comes down to one hole. That stuff is intense. Mm-hmm. So I, I really do enjoy the Masters, but obviously another, you know, small group of people probably think that way too. But I do like the Super Bowl, just one game, decide it all. But it's an interesting question. It's a very hard question to answer. So what do you guys think? Uh, let us know some way. What are you, at Mackie Gallagher on Twitter? At Mackie Gallagher, simple and easy. Yep, simple simple and easy. Mackie I-E, that is, not <laughs> E-Y. Not E-Y. I'm not an E-Y, baby. But yeah, what's the best sports championship event? Super and Bowl, March March Madness, college championship, college football playoff? That's one that may be slept on. Yeah, but, that's um, not going to be me for that's not going to no. be mine because I've always have I've always disliked Hater. only having four teams. Um no, yeah. luckily it's expanding now. Follow-up question uh as we are rounding out the final minute. Uh this might be the same as the list you had with the individual events, but is there a championship where the fans and atmosphere make it better than any other championship event? Is there one that sticks out, or would you say that pretty much coincides with the list of the I'd have to go Stanley Cup again because, and in these scenarios, I'd say anything like a series, like the NBA Finals, Mm -hmm. where there's home, you know, court or ice advantage, I think that's where that really plays an impact. So Stanley Cup, because when you got the towels waving, it's such a sick atmosphere. You have the towels waving, whole crowd is into it you score a goal on a home ice it's just electric so yeah same same answer same same with me that's and that i would put uh i'll put the nba playoffs above super yeah. bowl for fan interaction because yeah. especially when like you know the shirts are color coordinated by sections like people just going crazy uh home field home court home ice advantage is a real thing and it really does change the momentum in playoff games well we appreciate you tuning in he's ben cole i'm mackie gallagher this is the uptown sports crowd on fox sports radio charlotte we'll catch you next sunday at 9 a.m